0: Welcome to the Painters Today podcast, and I am your host, Lucy Cox. This is episode nine, Your Eyes Shall Be Opened, featuring Emma Biggs and Matthew Collins, also known as Biggs and Collins. Emma Big studied fine art, specifically museum studies at Leeds University from nineteen seventy six to nineteen eighty Matthew Collins studied painting at the Shaw Art School from nineteen seventy four to seventy nine and Goldsmith's College between nineteen ninety 1990 and nineteen ninety one Emma is a mosaic artist, has written books on contemporary mosaic practice and is a regular tutor of short courses at Westing College in Kent. Matthew is the regular art critic for The Evening Standard and has written, produced and presented television shows and documentaries. The two began their collaboration as Biggs and Collins in 2001 and are represented by Vigo Gallery in London. You can follow them on Instagram at matthew.collings and at emma.biggs. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to Painters Today on Soundcloud and iTunes and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at 23carousels. your studio it's really beautiful it's really beautiful how long have you been here uh,
1: just over eight years
0: uh, okay okay and where were you before
2: then in Holloway in North yeah, London
0: yeah yeah. oh lovely and, uh, and what made you um, decide to begin a collaborative practice uh, oh,
1: well I'm- we I don't think we ever decided as such we sort of tumbled into it I mean this is my recollection of it when we got together, which was about twenty years ago, um, had a mosaic practice, and I was sort of fiddling around doing. I'd always done art. I'd always been to art schools, but you know, I had a lot of other jobs that weren't really making art. They were about writing about art or talking about art or something. And so I was often often found myself in situations where I didn't really know what I was doing with art. I didn't like to admit it. And I asked Emma one day. Um, what should I do here with something that I was doing? She said, "Oh, well, why don't you simplify it? And instead of doing that fiddly thing you're doing, which looks like you don't know what you're doing, why don't you reduce it all down to very simple shapes? And so I did. And I said, oh God, what, what should I put in the shapes? And so she suggested some colours. And I started doing that. And it felt a lot better. Yeah. And it did look a bit like art. Mm. And And so one thing led to another. And we sort of agreed that we'd... Make something together, and almost as soon as we started doing it, we had success. We had like commercial success. There was interest in it. Um, so I would. So it's hard to. I can only say what we did that caused us to be collaborative artists, rather than what caused us to make that decision.
0: But mm. I
1: suppose philosophically, I knew that art could be anything, but I noticed that a lot of art is not all that nice to look at. And when I saw Emma's mosaics, they they didn't seem like art to me. They didn't seem like contemporary art to me, even though, of course, they are contemporary art. But I didn't have any way of gauging them, really, then. So I thought, well, Emma does these mosaics. But I do notice that they're incredibly sophisticated in the colours she puts together. I could have some of that. Mm, And then I guess the minute I thought, well, I could do it, then I thought, what's the point of just I doing? What's the point of the eye? You know, we could both, it doesn't matter who did it, really. Mm. And Emma turned out to be this absolute sort of secret weapon of mm. colour and design and art, you know, just sort of started flooding out all this art stuff.
2: Mm.
1: Was that your recollection, Ev?
2: Uh, I I can remember you bringing, um, you bringing things back and me kind of saying, do a bit of this. I had that
1: studio in Hackney, didn't
2: I? Yes. But I think, I think most of the work, we... Did in upstairs in the house, if I remember, you turned up one of the rooms upstairs into a studio.
1: Well, that studio I had fell through, right? Uh, yeah, and then we started working in the house, and then we worked in your mosaic workshop, yeah. which was around the corner. Uh, people, we started selling things for quite what well, seemed to us a lot of money once we were in your mosaic workshop, and then we. Organized a show of, uh, based on colour, ideas about colour for Top Taylor at Rifle Maker. And that mm-hmm. included one of our paintings, which mm-hmm. Tom bought. So we thought oh, our paintings might be good. We are never sure why he bought it really, but he paid a lot of money for it. And then he introduced us to another guy, Toby Young, who was still working. Toby with Clark. Toby Clark. Not Toby Young. Toby Young's some kind of
2: right wing advocate
1: hand. of euthanasia. <laughs> 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 Toby Clark at uh, Vico Gallery. And who, in those days, was at the Fine Arts Society. But that's slightly to jump ahead. That was how we, how it became workable for us as being artists and selling work.
2: But I think for me. Um, but what would you say the philosophy
1: of it was, though, in? Yeah,
2: I think I think for me. As a, I've been working as a mosaicist, Mm. and working as a mosaicist, it's really quite a team activity, because uh, any sort of mosaic, you know, you can really you make anything at an absolute snails pace. So you need quite a few people uh, in order to make something of any sort of substantial size, and I was doing a lot of architectural mosaics. Yeah. So I was kind of, I suppose, I would do designs and then kind of run through the stuff, have assistance working. So the idea of sort of being with somebody and and critiquing a little bit and and kind of honing. But decisions and, and kind of advising, it, that was part of a continuity for me and didn't really seem different to what I'd been doing. So yeah. So for me, that felt a comfortable kind of va- practically the same thing in yeah, a way. Yeah.
1: I think I had some open-mindedness about what art was because I'd spent my whole life, you know, I was about 40 then, I'd spent my whole adult life processing all sorts of different kinds of art. Yeah, for films or articles or editing an art magazine or you know having something to do with with uh, processing ideas of art. So I knew it could be anything. And in a way, you had an open mind about it for opposite reasons because you'd started out wanting to be a fine artist and then found yourself a, and then getting into the music business and then after a while just suddenly going from zero to being a mosaicist. Just taught yourself to be a mosaicist. So you become an artist in a completely different area than art. Yes. So I was open-minded because I knew a lot about it, and you were open-minded because you'd stop knowing anything about it. Yes. And out of those two mentalities, and the practical consideration of how two people actually make a painting, we found ourselves doing this very simple format. Yeah. Just simply subdivide the canvas in the most simplest way. Mm-hmm. And then all the richness comes from colour relationships and then colour's always embodied. It's never just a disembodied thing. So that gave rise to sort of textures, you know, colour put on in a certain way next to another colour. Colour
0: mm.
2: well, next to another colour is a very mosaic type of thing too. Yeah, I course. was going to
0: ask you, um, is, is that way of working that you do in your painting similar to the way you work with with mosaics?
2: I think in a way it is quite similar. There is one absolutely salient Difference though, and that is that in uh, mosaic there's a sort of taboo shape, and that shape is a triangle. (laughs) (laughs) You can't really work, or rather, I suppose at the absolute terminus of a kind of a flowing line, you can sometimes put in a triangle. But really, it's an it's a completely forbidden shape because it draws the eye. It has that kind of animation that very often, if you're trying to create something quite sort of harmonious as a Moses you, you don't want that, that. You don't want that liveliness. Mm, mm. And people often think, oh, well, this is slightly off the point, perhaps, but people often think, for example, that Gaudi, uh, the, the work of Gaudi, which is, in fact, not Gaudi, it's generally, he's a guy who was his assistant, this guy, Cuchon, uh, he, it, that that's all kind of broken stuff, and it's all triangles. But again, far from it, if you actually look at it, it's that sort of illusion of the, what you think something is, rather than um, what it actually is if you look at it. <laughs> yeah.
1: I suppose the thing, one perceptual richness of the work that we tried to get, I just didn't understand how you did it. And even now, I'm always amazed by the way you do it. It's making things seem overlaid in space. Uh, and it was, it's just playing with registers of colours
2: yeah, playing with registers of colours uh, and playing with tone.
1: And that's a skill that you mm. had from doing Mosette, yeah, which I time. could see in cubism or any kind of art, but I wouldn't necessarily focus on that. And now I recognize, When I saw you doing it, I recognised that as something very sophisticated that appears in art, but I wouldn't know how to do it myself. And once you started doing it, and, and in a way causing me to do it, because you're making me paint those colours, uh, I realised we were doing something that was very, very fundamental to... How paintings are structured, regardless of whether they picture something or don 't picture something you know it 's how space is made really how there 's an illusion of space
2: I think that thing about um, sort of tone and, and presence are a sort of perhaps slight illusion of of, kind of things coming forward and things receding and so on it 's a kind of very uh, that, that Those sort of tonal aspects and those aspects of of intensity of colour, opacity of colour, are the things that I perhaps find the most interesting. And I know they're, they're kind of quite arcane and not necessarily of interest to a lot of the a lot of the art community. That that that, yeah. that very narrow little area mm. is the area that I find very yeah. interesting. Yeah.
0: And I think that there's so much in there as well though. Um, I mean I saw a couple of your paintings in a group show called Why Patterns at the number twenty Arts Gallery in Islington. And I just found myself just like literally stopping in my tracks and looking at it for ages and ages and ages and seeing how like the shapes change like the more i looked at it and so on and i think that um that I, that, that play between color d- different colors and different forms it it has so much gravitas and you can you can work with it in so many
2: different ways i think we're very lucky there's one thing that we're very lucky about and that is that having, sort of being a collaborative duo means that one of us can be the hand and the other one can be the eye in a way. And and so what we have on our side, I suppose, is is, is time mm-hmm. in that in that I can do a hell of a lot of looking of a kind that I think it's very difficult for, for artists, you know, especially in a yeah. sort of commercial setting that's, to, that's right. to yeah. do because yeah. I can be sitting there sort of assessing and analysing and thinking and rethinking and rethinking in a way that I think actually if you're making your own work, it's very often hard to yeah, do. That. It's 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 hard to get a different voice. It's almost yes. like you
0: have to be two two people That's in, right. in your mind. Oh you, you have, have to, to turn it to yeah, the wall and come back yeah, six months exactly, later or something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But having a collaborative practice allows you to have that other voice, I suppose. And yeah. the two of you might maybe disagree sometimes about where to place certain colours. Uh, and and you mix the colours, don't you, Emma? Yes, And I do, yeah. and Matthew puts the colours on. Yeah,
1: it's pretty strict like that. You hardly ever do anything different to that. That's the division of labour. <laughs> yeah. And we don't actually argue about what colours. I never argue with them about colours. Oh, the
0: right, okay.
1: I'm pretty much working in the dark and I believe that M is the light. You know, I uh, just simply yes. do what she says. Yeah, yeah. And and we don't argue about things, but you know, I put the paint on in a certain way and that suits M or she say, well that she will find that it doesn't suit her in the sense not so much that oh I don't like brush strokes like that, but it doesn't necessarily suit some kind of concept that's building up as to what the painting is going to be because they're not at all predetermined the paintings done bit by bit intuitively
0: mm.
1: with them being the driver yeah so she wouldn't argue about the process but she would say um, try doing it in some other way and I'm happy to do that yeah you know, because yeah. I think it's a process based uh, uh, practice that we have yeah. and I'm happy for the, the process yeah. to be layered and take ages You yeah know, mm-hmm the things we argue about are trivial you know like tea and music and heat in the studio (laughs) Uh, we never argue aesthetically because we believe each other
2: yeah yeah. yes I was telling you earlier Lucy that um, one thing that can be a source of disagreement is the fact that the studio we have a a wood burning stove to heat the The studio and the top of the studio gets very hot, and then Matt can be up at the top of the ladder and get incredibly hot. Well, I'm dying of cold at the bottom. Yeah, Uh, Uh,
1: we we uh, argue about stupid life shit, really. But it's it's
0: really interesting because you're both married, I assume, or you know, you're both partners, and you're kind of bringing that into the studio. So your so your collaborative practice is like a marriage in a way. Well, I think yeah, it is yeah it totally yeah. is but it's a yeah, like marriage artistic to, marriage yeah, yes want, it's
1: an artistic marriage which is. means that it's to do with certain ideals which don't necessarily pertain or aren't emphasised so much yeah. in life mm, and, mm. you know pa- making art is, is make, making art is very much about making but there's also ideals because otherwise you don't know what you're making or yeah. you need to roughly know why you're doing something you know there's got to be some kind of simple idea that you're heading for and I think that necessarily put with life and just sort of coping with um, existence so it's our married life is like anyone's married life our relationship in the studio is probably quite freaky but we'd be the last people to know that because for us it's normal we do it every day and it's yeah. very hard for us you know we often discuss with each other uh, oh, what are we doing? Being collaborators, you know. What is collaboration? We might relate it to society. You know, we want society to be different. We want society to be more collaborative. But we don't really know what we're doing together in the studio. There's probably some psychological issues that neither of us would like to admit. You know, <laughs> and we've never we've never thought deeply about um, that side of side of it. But we do talk about we constantly are talking about the limitations of what we do, because what we do is very narrow. Mm. You know, we its implications are broad. You know, we think we're painting reality, we're painting the world. But the way we make things is very narrowly focused. You know, so we're often saying to each other, we're, we often feel frustrated with that narrowness. You know, we think... Uh, Oh, God, maybe we should break out or we should do something else. We should do some splashing, you know. (laughs) Why are we using bloody tape all the time? Why does it have to be straight lines, you know? And there are practical answers to all that, you know, to Mm. do with the collaboration. Mm. Um, But, and also maybe we're both quite reserved, you know, we're not that adventurous. But also, we believe in the results of what we do. You know, we can see when something is nearing completion and how it needs more work, and then we can see that it's time to do something else, Mm. you know. So those meanings build up and start to have a very profound effect on what we expect from our work. So I'm not sure if um, the idea side of collaborating and then the making side of collaborating... For us, they seem to go along as they go, and that's how we work. But to other people, it might seem seem like a very odd, distorted way of making art, and a very odd set of assumptions about what art is, I suppose.
0: Hmm. And how long does it take you to make uh, paintings? Um, Because if you're working intuitively, then you have to, I'm assuming, stop and think about the next step. So, um, it's not as if you can give yourself, say, like three weeks a deadline. Things do, you, or, or unless you do. Um,
1: it's possible to make a small one in three weeks. Yeah. As long yeah. as the shapes are big.
0: Yeah.
1: If it's a small one a very tiny shapes, it takes yeah. a long time because mm. you've got to allow for things to dry because we work in oil paint. Yeah. But we can but typically work for you months. Longer time, really.
2: May, I think longer time produces fresher paintings. Yeah. Because it allows yeah. the paint to dry without using sort of things to speed it up mm. and speeding it up can make it a bit sort of plasticky yeah uh.
1: but, but you mean fresh fresher surface you mean like the oil yeah. paint looks nicer yeah. if you're, if you're not so. in with a load of so. mediums that are used to cause the paint to dry that's right but I think also I would say for us the type of work we does we do
2: <laughs> we <laughs> <laughs> does <laughs> <laughs> a, a, long, a type of work we
1: does <laughs> uh, a longer time actually makes the paint causes the painting to be more dynamic because mm-hmm. you can see more possibilities. It's all about yeah. relating small elements yeah. within a whole unity. And you mm-hmm. want that unity to be, for whoever's looking at it, to be highly changeable and yet have authority. Yeah. So wherever one might think, oh, that's the configuration, you want it so in the next few seconds there's a slightly different order of elements.
0: Yeah. Just
1: yeah. like a painting by a Lorenzo Lotto in the National Gallery a portrait. That's why they're good, because there's yeah. so many dimensions to the perceiving of them. Uh, and you can only pursue something like that over quite a long period of time. Mm. You've got to keep relating and relating, breaking up, relating differently, yeah. breaking up, relating differently. Mm.
2: I wonder, I mean, it probably would be possible to produce sort of effective, dynamic paintings of a kind if they were predetermined, but they're not. Mm. I mean, maybe we're stupid not to determine them, but we don't. <laughs> we do yeah. keep
1: ourselves a bit stupid and primitive. <laughs> but we obviously acknowledge that Wade Guyton is a good artist and churn, can churn out paintings using that Xerox method. And that other people paint much faster than us. There's almost no one who we like in contemporary art who doesn't paint much faster than us. Yeah. We hardly know anyone who paints as slow as us.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: but we. this is the way that We do it. You know, We both of us, for years, you know, we thought we must do some prints. We'll go to a printmaker and we'll spend a week doing a course with them and then we'll churn out a load of prints. Yeah. We don't do it. Something stops us doing it. It's because we must want to keep a sort of primitiveness Mm. in the way we work. Mm. We want to do a thing on the canvas, think about it, and do another thing somewhere Mm. else on the canvas and more and more relate them and relate them relate them Mm -hmm. that seems to produce the results
0: yeah and there's a kind of a like a duality between the handmade so Mm. physically painting with with brushes and the autonomy of the shapes on 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 the canvas if that makes sense so it's like a play between the two yes and i think thank you for
1: putting it that way that's very good yeah because they look in reproduction, completely mechanical. Mm, yeah. In real life, you can see yes, totally that they're not, right. that that's there right. aren't really any pure straight lines in there. They're quite scruffy, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're often a little bit grungy, the surfaces, mm. and messy, you know. Mm. And that's what we think paintings look like. You know, that's not an affectation. That We think paintings have a sort of stamped-out image, and the handmade. Mm, so yeah. those two things we want, we yeah. want to retain them.
0: Yeah, definitely. And how do you get all the different, like the different textures, in one painting? Because you mentioned masking tape, so I guess you'd have to wait until one bit dries, and yeah, like that. and that and that can take ages, I'm assuming. Because if you if you don't want to use um, well, additives to the to the oils,
1: well, we do use some uh, oil uh, additives that fasten the drying, make the drying time faster, but we don't always work with a dry surface. Then you can always use tape. If you want a sheer straight line, we sometimes working wet into wet, and then we're mucking about really, laying pieces of paper over um, wet paint and painting. You know, just sort of creating the illusion of a straight of a Uh, taped line. You know, some of the lines really are taped, and some of them are not. And it's not that we try to get an effect of a surface that we try to get a certain surface, but the surfaces arrive as they are as we are, are trying to make certain flows and relationships from one side of the canvas to the other and somehow the paint gets put down that facilitates that flow and you know M's really in charge of the colour relationships and of what the surfaces look like mm. so I'll just do the surfaces how I feel that would be nice to do them mm. and they could be working in terms of Emma's concept but that concept might change mm. and so some different surfaces might be required it's not that she says oh make a surface that's sort of mottled or today make a very sheer surface or mm. today make a surface that, where you can see two tones in it it's more that those kinds of surfaces will arrive as solutions to certain local relationships yeah. and solutions to the big overall unity mm. they'll, they'll just come up you know we don't really have a sort of a little book of possible surfaces that we could draw on. Oh, okay,
0: you
1: know? okay. They really are, they're intuitive paintings from, the paintings start off blank, our heads are blank, mm. except yeah. for our experience, but yeah. there's nothing predetermined about each image. We wow. draw the grid, that's mm. the determining yeah. thing, and then we fill in one bit and then we gradually fill it up and fill it up and fill it up and then go yeah. back and edit and edit and yeah. change and change and change. Wow. And the nature of the overall surface is a result of those changes.
0: Wow, lovely. And in terms of the grid, um, there's, or or there was, um, an American abstract painter called Frederick Hammersley, um, who also worked within the confines of the grid. And there's a lovely quote by him, actually. um, And he says, sometimes a painting would start, but one shape that in time would lead to additional ones. One particular and satisfying aspect of this experience was the awareness of new and unexpected logic of intuition. I did not have to think, I followed. I came to realise that intuition functions only when one has accumulated a fund of knowledge and experience. Uh, Do you agree with the statement and um, is it a similar satisfying experience for you? Do do you work in a similar way?
1: Um, I'm sure you would agree with that line about um, that intuition isn't really anything in art without. Background experience.
2: Yeah, I think it may be that it's, um, it may be possible for people intuitively to do something lively and dynamic. Mm. But I, in the mosaic world, there's a mosaicist called Delana Shafir who's a, who died recently at the age of 99. And, uh, She she used to teach what she called spontaneous mosaic, and but when she taught, she taught it. She would sort of tell everyone sort of to be free, be free, and walk (laughs) around the class with everyone sort of doing their things, and then she would. Sort of more or less, whip things off and r- rub things off people's tables. You <laughs> said, "Don't do that! Don't, Don't do, do that. that! Don't do that!" Because her intuition was <clears> precisely <throat> that. Her intuition, her intuitive work, was based on a vast fund of kind of knowledge about the way textures might work together, or or sort of matte and reflective uh, juxtapositions, or sort of the juxtaposition of materials with lots of little holes in yeah, them, with kind of yeah. broader circular structures all good ideas all good yeah, ideas but I yeah. think that that thing is precisely it's precisely having some sort of some, some sort of sense built up over time of how to make curious oddities work together yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah so the
2: it's
0: almost uh, as if you have to know about um about the fundamentals of painting I no, not about no. the fundamentals.
1: Of, no, not that. No, like, no, not that. Have some experience of making something that has had some success, mm. so that some visual success, some visual intensity. No, mm. it could be the fun. It could not the fundamentals of paintings. It could be paintings or design of jeans or a sunset or yeah. what does the light look on the side of that look like on the side of that coffee coffee cart. Yeah, just sort of visual experience where you're used to looking very ah. narrowly and closely and yeah. thinking what is that visual event, yeah. how can I do something that has the convincingness of that visual yes. event yes. In my fancy? and it's one thing to wake up one day and say I've been doing non-visual things all my life I'm suddenly going to do something <laughs> visual it's <And> so <laughs> another thing to have been doing visual things for years and years and years because yeah. then you built up a lot of experience of doing them when you're armed with that kind of experience, then intuition is very meaningful. And the fact is that these decisions, as far as I can tell, that M makes about color are entirely intuitive. Mm. You know, they're not at the place, you, we don't do things by chance and we don't do things by sort of predetermined uh, calculation. Mm. They're done out of M's head. Yeah. They're intuitions. Yeah. But it's yeah. an informed intuition.
0: Mm
1: you know it's a complicated answer though, as to yeah. well informed by what yeah that 's yeah. why I was rambling off a lot of things I think it's informed by life and yeah, making yeah, you know.
2: yeah what
1: what does the world look like if you wanted to communicate something about the world, everything that you thought about the world, and you were doing it in a visual way, how could you do it so it was convincing you know? mm. it didn't seem frivolous or shallow or glib mm. uh, it didn't seem um, Chaotic, or didn't seem uncommunicative.
0: Yeah, or even cliched. Didn't seem wild. cliched. Yeah. yeah,
1: or if there's, if there are known elements, you know, how much surprise is there in there as well, so there's a balance of the known yeah. and the surprise. Yeah. You
2: know, which isn't either. Also, isn't to say that decisions. Necessarily successful ones. I mean, yeah. that's sort of, uh, kind yeah. of. Uh, what we, see, it sounds a little bit as if one of the implications of what we're saying is that you know, you accumulate the knowledge and then you know how to do it. Well, that's just yeah. not the case. Yeah, that's why I bridle yeah. at
1: the idea that you know the fundamentals of the painting because yeah. we totally don't. You know, we yeah. know the the looks of lots of paintings.
0: Yeah,
1: both of us do. <laughs> we're always going to shows. We like things and we dislike things. Yeah, we make yeah. judgments like that. Yeah. We're not really making those paintings. Yeah, you know, they yeah, feed so. into our sense of what will work. You know, mm. what kind of format will work? What size canvas? We did this size. Why do that size? You know, what what size should the internal elements be? Yeah, should yeah. they be intricate mm. uh, shapes or broad shapes? You know, should those surfaces have sawdust in them or should they be smooth? You know, mm. how would you balance the two? Or yeah. Well, yeah. that's a little bit you're thinking about art you've seen but a lot of it is just what would you say it was what would you say the one single factor behind it is or there is none really (laughs) yeah there is none it's not really an art it's not really the art we do isn't really about (coughs) you couldn't say uh, you know we're artists who want to express fear or love or humour or um, or even light you know, light is something that we are very interested in That's because it animates anything. Yeah, This room now mm. appears a lot more lively than if it was the middle of the night and all the lights were off yeah. because there's light broken up everywhere mm. around us. But yeah. I wouldn't say our art ultimately is about light, you mm. know, mm. any more than it's really about arrangement or pattern. Mm. You know, those things come into, we work with those things in order to make the things that we do. I think our paintings really are, are like landscapes. Hmm. it's just that we don't actually picture a landscape that all the things that go on in a landscape painting go on in our painting Hmm. except picturing except depicting things
2: I I suppose what I think is that there's a bit of sort of a bit of danger in getting things wrong and then a a kind of way of getting something teetering between kind of ugly and horrible Hmm. and 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 yet kind of managing to kind of be clinched in a way that feels a bit harmonious, even when there might be things that are rather a little bit jarring. Yeah. So it's a sort of peaceful, jarring, ugly, yeah. nice, all yeah, in was, kind of odd control yeah, together. Yeah,
0: definitely. And I know that that aspect was mentioned, I think, in the Terps Banana interview where I think, I don't know who the interviewer was, but they talked about those dualities so you were saying uh, Catherine Blanin uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, between kind of um, beauty ugliness um, order chaos all all those things are kind of wrapped into one and you did I think both of you said in the interview that those things w- were aspects of of the world that really interested you um, and Maybe there are aspects of that in your painting, not necessarily ugliness, but other jarvities, like between order and chaos, for example.
1: Well, they're all useful on the way. Mm. In fact, there's hardly any painting that we do where there hasn't come a point where you feel you've got to chuck in something a bit ugly, Mm. because it's actually, you know...
2: It, yes, because to connect. begin
1: with, you're filling up, you know, you're sort of making lots of local relationships, yeah, so yeah. everything is potential, yeah. and as the thing starts to actually fill up, you realise that it's got a certain self-contained <coughs> order, but it's not really expressive, you know, it doesn't feel like the liveliness of the world, and you don't know what to do, because mm. you've only got what you've done, mm. and so you sometimes have to throw a spanner into the works, and that spanner could be ugliness. Yeah. Yeah. It often is, really, isn't it? Mm. That you just sort of you break something up, and then good that you've broken it, and now you can start putting it together again, and you sort of yeah. up the game a bit. Yeah, I think that's what Francis Bacon does. You know that he he there's in a way there's a formula to a Bacon, but there's also a lot of you know genuine chance and genuine drama, and there's certainly genuine designer abilities. Mm. You know, it's not for nothing that he he has that background in design in the 30s. There was a beautifully designed, flat, almost Matisse-like arrangement onto which some grotesque explosion is hurled mm. and then mucked about <laughs> a bit until it's hinged yeah. into the design. Yeah. Well, our painters couldn't look further away in appearance and couldn't seem further away in intent to Francis Bacon have all those stages. Mm. You know, there's, both of us can make a nice arrangement and both of us want some unexpected element in it and mm. something that neither of us could have pre-calculated and it's a bit difficult for us to cope with and then that we gradually have to get into some kind of order
0: and um, what are you working on in the studio at the moment um, you've got two quite large paintings here and one quite small painting yeah and one actually that hasn't been painted at all it's i would say a hundred 150 by 150. And it's just been penciled out into a grid. It's
1: got a few bits of masking tape on it. Yeah, yeah. G-N. Oh, that's to remind me that I (laughs) haven't put
2: in the right... I've got to add lines in there. Oh, I thought, I thought it was green. Okay. No, sure I think green. it's just... No, it says line, actually. Well, the word is line because I've left lines out there. Oh, okay. uh, it's a sort of slightly different format and the idea is to to do what we're doing in this painting over here, which is really to take the normal triangular format and and lay further sorts of additional triangles over the top of them ah, yeah. in order to do that we've been in, i've been reducing the number of colors in the painting a little bit um because i have really no idea how to do what we're doing <laughs> uh, and so uh, it's all quite sort of feel, feels very perilous at the moment uh, it, it feels um a bit more wonky wonky than other than some of your other words that's actually. right like,
0: like the wonky geometry I guess. yes yeah. that's right yes yeah. Yeah.
2: well I think I want that sort of sense of slight off-kilterness in it and uh but I don't want the uh, we did a painting that which was in the pattern show that yeah. you went to see yeah. my patterns yeah. and uh and I felt that that painting, uh, uh, that was, painting was the first mm. of a new kind of line of experimentation. And I don't really feel that that had quite clinched it because what, in order to make it work, I think it had actually just fallen into two different registers. The register of the sort of field, the field in figure, what would normally be like the, what you might think of as the figure of the triangles and the field of of the sort of area on which the the diamonds are laid, yeah, and then a sort of subsidiary, I don't know, kind of like hurricane tornado form, and the tornado forms were all more or less in a similar register, and the sort of uh, diamond forms and the and the field were all in a similar register. So there were two main registers in that painting, and I don't think that was quite working because it, I suppose that. That falling into the two meant that the painting, to meet my eye, became kind of predictable. And one of the things I think I'm always striving to, to create is something where there's both predictable and unpredictable mm-hmm. in the same painting, yeah, yeah. um, so that the painting moves around a bit. Uh, and so I don't felt, feel that that painting wholly got there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm hoping to try and make them, uh, Make them more integrated.
1: Well, that show, uh, Why Patterns, had two paintings by us. One was what you could say was sort of classic triangles. Yeah. And one was that wonky thing. And we're now working on a show for our own gallery, for BIGO for next year, uh, which we want to be made up of those two things, sort of classic triangles and wonky disturbed yeah. triangles. yeah. And so, but because we've had a couple of setbacks in our... Non-art life. Um, over the last couple of months, we haven't made as much progress with the work as we'd hoped. So, it's we we're not really in the middle of something now. We're at the beginning of something, and we're not quite mm. sure what it is. We, yeah, we know we've. It's it's not just that we want a new line of products, the <laughs> stuff. It's
0: that
1: we want to investigate a different idea <coughs> of space. You know, the, the idea of space in a lot of our works is the most banal layout which you try and enrich to an incredibly intense degree by colour relationships and now we want a banal layout which has a little bit of an overlay of complexity mm. so you've then got to make you've got to make space more involved and um perceptually engaging with that slightly different layout but as em says because we've only just started with that we found we resolved the problem too soon with that small painting. I mean, I think it's a nice painting. It has a sort of quality to it, but it, it's almost too packed. Yeah. Whereas mm. the triangles painting seems strong because it was rather kitsch and it's, it had a glowing lights behind the triangles and there was a feeling of very saturated colour. So it almost seemed like satin or nylon or plastic or something. And so you had to make something that's initially a bit unpleasant have a kind of subtlety or a believability, and mm. I think that came out quite strong. I mean, I, I like both of those paintings. I thought they looked nice in the show, but it's just that the little painting told us what the problems would be mm. were we to do some more of those little paintings, which, we, yeah. which we're now embarking yeah. on. Yeah,
0: yeah. And how um, is this kind of wonky painting different from these? Because uh, it's almost like completely different in a Those way, are
1: more like freaks, and uh, we... We sort of showed the first one of those, uh, Thomas Dane, uh, in a group show, which our friend Dustin Erickson was kind enough to invite us to be in. He'd organised that show. Uh, And we think of them as kind of uh, microcosms of a triangle, as if you're Mm -hmm. seeing one tip of a triangle and it's all exploding into quantum physics. There's hundreds of little, uh, hundreds of little subdivisions. We've got to make it work. these are two more experiments in that area, in that area of work. Where and
2: neither of them are finished.
1: Yes, they're very unfinished. And they, oh. we're, we're going about them in the most laborious way, as if we want to <laughs> actually give ourselves pain. And they're very painful to do they're Totally tedious to do. Yeah. Uh,
0: but it's worth it though, isn't it? Because, I mean, already, it's like this one, I mean, it's not even finished. And already there's so much in there. You well, know, thank you for saying that. And, Thank you. Layers, yeah. and it's almost like you can actually jump into the painting, you know. Well,
1: thank you. Like, we um, we see it as still very unresolved. <laughs> We're not quite, really quite sure how it ever will be resolved.
2: I'm excited yeah. by that painting. Yeah. I like the way it looks <laughs> yeah. like an
1: organ in a church. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And the way it has very big shapes and very small ones.
2: Mm. Mm. I think it's so boring for Matt to do that he really bridles at it, but I personally uh, <laughs> think there's something there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think
1: there'll be something there with both of them, and I hope that. We can get them in the Vigo show, but I don't think a show is good where there's too many formats because you can't settle down with one and see the development on it. Yeah. It looks as though you're desperate for attention. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I don't know why, but in the last couple of years, we've been experimenting with more complicated formats. It's not because we're tired of the old one. We could do that for the rest of our lives, very happily. But it's, I don't really know the answer. So I don't think you do either, do you? I mean, we just found ourselves doing it. Do you
2: know why we're doing it? No, not entirely. I, th- I think I just don't want to have a feeling of falling into a, a formula. And, mm-hmm. and and there was a lot of, I mean, yeah. we worked and worked and worked and, and I felt we'd developed quite a long way. Now I don't know, I just want to wake up. Yeah,
0: maybe it's almost like you've developed a style. In some way, a very, very recognisable style, but you don't want to get kind of. Um, it's a bit like it's a bit like being an actor and being, say, Doctor Who or James Bond. And after that, you then became known for that character. And I guess it's a similar way to maybe your painting. You know, you get known for that particular style, and you want to kind of um, shake things up a little bit, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I guess that's a nice <laughs> analogy, James Bond. <laughs> a
1: way. I think that's fair enough. Yeah. That's a good analogy. But I don't know if I've ever, you know, it's not like we're not, we see the results that we do. We see that a work is efficient and another work is less efficient. And so then you push it to get it more efficient. Yeah. We never think, wow, we did a really good painting. Uh, So and now we've got really good style. And then (laughs) after a while, oh, that's enough of that style. You know, we're developing. Yeah, yeah. So although I recognise what you just said as a, as a you know a believable sort of human syndrome that one one wants to keep pushing into different areas, that's not exactly because funnily enough, ever since we have been doing what we've been doing, which is twenty years now. We have done these other things. Mm. You know, we've experimented with other things, just that we forget about them. You know, we've experimented with very organic forms that look like seeds, and we've experimented with circles. You know, um, and they've helped. We need to do them in order to find new solutions to the simple works. Yeah. I think this is the first time, though, recently that we felt we wanted to actually foreground those mm. sideline experiments. And it might just be that out of a spirit of fun that we do it, or maybe. It is that um, there's a problem about becoming formulaic, but I, I wouldn't say that we ever really have settled into a formula. I'd be almost glad if we had, you know, if we could, if we had a sort of production line of formula <laughs> paintings that, that there was a, an appetite for people wanting them. I think, um, you know, ex- expressionists can be very formulaic, you know, I the surprises and jarring results that you get in Albert Irland, for example, are really, I wouldn't say they were un, totally unformulaic, actually. you know, I mean, I think I really admire his work. And I went to, uh, took some students, painting students around an Irland show in Venice recently. And um, I was just struck by the sheer playfulness on the one hand and the sheer sort of, confident competence on the other hand of a painter working in the studio doing what they do. If you've worked for even a few months at something, a formula develops. yeah and a formula could contain splashes and surprises and messes and chaos you mm-hmm. know, could still be part of the formula. Yeah yeah
0: exactly.
1: And an uptight look like mm. we have or like Bridget Riley has, you know there's that sort of fussy edged look could be very much working with uh, unknowns. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. it's, this, it's mm. not that um, masking tape means a formula and, and um, splashes mean you're full of dynamism. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, one aspect that I, I really love about your practice is the title of your paintings and how playful they are. Um, one in particular toil with our hands which, which is a lovely title and I think it kind of relates to what you it relates to your processes the fact that you've toiled with your with your bare hands over this painting <laughs> well it's um, a quote yeah.
1: from Genesis toil yeah. of our hands oh, toil, toil of our hands. hands yeah and um there are a few paintings in that show that was, was about five years ago that show and there uh, are titles like uh, a flaming sword hmm. uh and then there was another one that was really good about um, City of Philistines. And all of them, they vaguely related to art. You know, a flaming sword suggested to us glinting and light. Philistines suggested, you know, the culture of art, you know, that you, mm-hmm. you, you fight the Philistines and you encourage the these yeah. yeah. And Toil of Our Hands suggested both a sort of 19th century ideal of work and that it's a very made thing for us. You know, it's more made than intellectualized. Yeah, artwork.
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and so we're always, we, we look for titles which playfully tell the viewer and maybe even tell us something about what we're doing. And we could make up any titles that could come from anywhere, but we decided one day that we liked the idea of titles that came from words that were written as long ago as possible. So Genesis is very, very long ago. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like uh, um, older than the Psalms. You know, some of it is like yeah. uh, at least 1,500 years possibly before Christ. You know, certainly a lot of it is 800 years before Christ. So we like, think, we like wisdom about reality that goes back a long way or interpreting reality that goes back a long way. We could have chosen Karl Marx or we could have chosen the Brontes or we could have chosen anything or we could choose a different one every time. You know, like Robert Motherwell opens a book of James Joyce and finds a very good title, The Homely Protestant, and he does something different with every title. But titles for us are absolutely meaningless. They don't mean anything at all. And they're very important. We want to get the tone right for the title. So... We don't set out to do a painting called Toil of Our Hands. So we stick the title on at the end. Yeah. But the titles mm-hmm. might have something to do with the multiplicity of elements. You know, we did a painting once called 807 Years, because that's, you know, in, the, in Genesis, there's lo- all those, those people, they live 807 years or 400 <laughs> years. Or, you know, somebody has a load of children when they're 402, you know. <laughs> so, and we have lots of little triangles in our paintings. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have sometimes stepped outside of Genesis. We titled some things after uh, works in a church in Istanbul once. There was a wonderful title that we couldn't resist called Container of the Uncontainable, which referred to Mary containing Jesus in her womb. Uh, that's just magnificent. But mostly we stick to Genesis, and we could drop it tomorrow, or maybe we'll stick to it for the rest of our lives. Really, all our paintings are untitled, and then we have that sort of playful title that we stick on that has a certain tone to it we have to tell people they come from genesis because we deliberately don't choose ones which suggest immediately the bible you know we never we never have titles that have the word verily in them or or and mm-hmm. the light moveth on the water yeah. or yeah. there are always what single words or phrases uh that come from this rather inexhaustible supply uh, you know we might call a painting seed saying that that's a word that comes from genesis of course it could come from anywhere yeah. but we got it from Genesis um,
0: you've spoken about um, decoration uh, and in one interview you said that your paintings are positively decorative uh, what are your thoughts on the idea of decoration particularly in painting and why do you think it's considered a derogatory word in fine art
2: today
1: do you think him um, we have a lot of thoughts about that but I don't know we have a lot of thoughts about every part of that question that you asked what would you say
2: I think um I think so far as decoration is concerned, uh, I think perhaps less about the paintings in terms of decoration and more in terms of structure. So that, for example, if you... uh, I'm thinking at the moment of a painting, which is a narrative painting, and it's a a painting of people on a ship, Mm. and uh, there's a woman who's sitting on the ship wearing a kind of... Tartan dress, and she's up against. She's sitting in a, a lattice, what they call a bergère chair. It's a sort of chair which is kind of woven, and then behind her is all the rigging, the mast, the rigging of the mast, and and so on, and all the sort of all the knotted uh, lattice work around that. And behind that is uh, is the sort of edge of the ship with all the kind of lines going across. and And I think in narrative painting. People often overlook the fact that the painting is profoundly, um, patterned. And I suppose I think of pattern and decoration as quite a lot of a single entity. And it's that sort of entity, uh, that is what's excitement to me. That sort of relationship, that looking, that looking at something and seeing, uh seeing through um what seems to be the content of the painting to something else, which because I'm interested I suppose in in kind of uh colour and tone and, and so on, I sort of I feel as if I look through narrative paintings to see something else, and and I hope that when that it's possible for the paintings which look as if they're decorative to be seen through ...to find another kind of a content. It's a slightly obscure (laughs) answer.
1: Why the picture is so intense... ...is because anyone can relate to that feeling. But it's because the picture is visually intense... Mm. ...that that emotion is conveyed... ...in the powerful way that it is conveyed... ...in that picture. But the picture doesn't demand... ...that you consciously acknowledge. It doesn't really demand anything... ...but it's the narrative of course... ...is a sort of literary idea... It's demanding, really, that you involve yourself in the picture as you would involve yourself with a novel, seen scene in a novel. But the fact is that you're able to do that to such a degree and with such sort of emotional empathy because of the intense way that that picture is structured. Now, as M says, that's all decoration is. Decoration is a structure. M just talked about the word in that way, which is a positive way and not a negative way, but that doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge that paintings can be emptily decorative. It is a good word to describe a failed painting. It is merely decorative. And and we have no intention, and we never have, of doing a painting that is decorative in that negative way. And we keep working on each individual painting until it is not only decorative in that way. We're perfectly happy if people say, oh, that's... Collings and Biggs and they just do those decorative paintings because we know that <laughs> whoever makes that criticism is not someone that we want to impress anyway. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: But you know, Monet Monet is supposed to be the sort of supreme decorative artist, and Manet he gets all the medals for meaning. But you know, Manet is very decorative as well, and Monet's decoration—that's his mode. It's not the meaning. You know, it's it's through decoration that he creates those meanings of nature and industry and modernity and um, what life is like in the 1880s or or the 1915s for that matter Um, but the one thing we've never felt any uh, connection to is ironically decorative painting which is something that was in the background of my um, experience When I went to Goldsmiths, for example, I did an MA at the Goldsmiths when I was still at the BBC in the 90s and through the 80s. There was a lot of sort of ironic decoration and kind of uh, sneering at the world via a painting that you didn't really mean. No one quite knew what you did mean, but you didn't mean that, that you're looking at. And uh, neither of us really has that. Mentality. We're sort of in awe of people who can be so cynical, but neither of us quite can do that. And also, we, either that stuff's got to be really good or just don't bother with it. You know, it's very, very, there's something very sort of depressing about a deliberately empty type of art. So we would be very sorry if anyone thought we were being ironic about decoration. We'd be happy to do a show that was called Decoration, you know, but. <laughs> We're not afraid of decoration, but it's not in the end really what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, M does applied art, which is mosaics. And when her clients want some kind of decoration, but, you know, they don't go to anybody for it. They know that she does a sort of intensely structured thing that you can go on looking at and being mesmerized by it for a very long time. Um, and I think that's what—that's why we like art. Ultimately, me and Em—we like why we like anything in culture, you know, that has some kind of complexity that you can keep returning to. And I would say that's can be found in art, which is decorative. And can be found in carpets. Can be found in all sorts of things, you know, decorative mosaics in in you know in the Islamic tradition, and it's found in art as well. I wonder why, Em, that you felt so yourself talking about a painting by an, a, an artist where decoration is the last thing you would connect. It's a sort of novelistic content he does and um, related to um, pre-Raphaelites.
2: Well, I think... And that was... you are answering
1: a question about decoration, and that came to mind.
2: I think it's because... Uh, I think the reason that I talked about it is because people think that decoration, or rather that or as I think there's a sort of structure in a in a kind of micro to macro decorative way, they think that it's not present in narrative painting. So I suppose when I was asked about decoration, I started talking in a way about narrat- a narrative painting in order to illustrate the opposite or decoration. fill out yeah. the, the idea of something that seems almost opposite, but at the same time is kind of highly structured in a way where I would say really in order to have any feeling about that painting at all, it all comes from those kind of little crisscrosses.
1: Yeah, the rigging. The rigging. And, uh, yeah,
2: the dress, the chair, the, all those kinds of endless grids. Yeah. So in in a way,
0: it's it's not consciously decorative, if that if that makes sense. It's all about narrative, but it is decorative, and it's visual aspects
1: well that painting that particular painting yeah yeah. in our case there is no narrative
0: no
1: no you know we've removed that yeah i wouldn't say that what's left is decorative i mean there are all sorts of narratives that could be um pursued yeah you know why do two people collaborate or you know uh is there a a sort of narrative of looking—is that you know? Are there other sort of passages through the painting? Are there sort of you know
2: yeah. narrative-type
1: yeah. things going That's on? Right. But yeah. there definitely isn't a narrative meaning yeah. of it's yeah. a picture of something. And right? I don't yeah.
2: know. I think that there. I think that there's an argument to say there's a sort of. There's a sort of story of restlessness. There's a sort of story of visual restlessness. You mm. might not say it's a narrative. It's not like a ma- it's <laughs> not like migrant on a boat. But yeah, it's is not a like kind telling of... a story. No, but
0: you, I mean, you have recognised well, earlier. You mentioned landscapes, so, and so this one here could say resemble mountains or something. But that's not narrative. That's more figurative, right? They're two two different things.
1: Well, that's very interesting about them being two different things because they each depend on each other. Yeah, know, For something to be figurative, it's impossible to not have some implication of narrative. Mm. But for something to be very, very abstract, funnily enough, it's impossible for it not to have some sense of nature or perception or how we see things, which, you know, once you start sort of pursuing these terms, you find that they're never really quite so opposite to their supposed opposites. Yeah, yeah. M said restlessness, and I think that is um that's a sort of abstract ideal that we pursue restless looking, shifting and changing uh rather than a sort of sublime, mighty one note thing or um we like intricate changes.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah, I think going back to the idea of sort of ironic decoration, mm-hmm. I think ironic decoration where something just becomes incredibly flat runs it sort of runs out for me because it doesn't um it doesn't ask to be endlessly re-seen and then why keep going back and looking yeah yeah whereas yeah. something where there's a, a sort of sufficient complexity for it to be a little unknowable at a glance it it sort of it hooks the eye a little bit and i think it's that hooking of the eye that interests me i think yeah Yeah, maybe that does make,
0: in some ways, a good piece of art across across the board, you know, whether it's narrative, figurative, abstract, you know, there's that unknowingness and that restlessness that, you know, the more you look, the more things you can see, you know, within a painting.
1: We were both thinking the other day that ambiguity in art, which um, we see as a quality, visual mm. ambiguity, is a sort of modernistic ideal. It's an ideal that comes from modernism. So modernism's ideals are often retrospective. So it mo- it's, comes from within modernism that and romantic modernism that people are encouraged nowadays to imagine that something visually amb- ambiguous is more sort of soulful and deep and interesting than something that's rather flat and declares itself all at once. But as historically grounded as it might be, that is a pursuit for us. That's a, an ideal for us that, that visual ambiguity is, is mesmerizing for us. The mesmerizing yeah. capacities of visual ambiguity, we are quite willing to be mesmerized by and we follow it up and we celebrate it. You know? And we tend to like painters like Titian and Veronese and, you know, those, Oh, Bellini, you know, where there's sort of softnesses, Rubens, you know, the painterly painting tradition where you can't entirely tell where things are. You feel that you can straight away, the figuration causes you to think that you know where everything is. And then once you start to get into the painting at all with an eye tuned to how that painting was made and what it's doing, you realise how movable and tenuous all those relationships are. And how they're the products of moving the paint around, and, and moving the paint around is the product itself of the mind wanting to move around and have a sort of electricity and jump about. You know. We answered that at such length. That I can't, can't remember what the question was. <laughs> was it to do a decoration
0: uh, yeah. yeah.
1: You asked us earlier if we was sat if we got satisfaction. Your guy Hammersley yeah, yeah, said that yeah. he found he got great satisfaction or something. Yeah, yeah. And the fact is that we don't really do. It's not. It's not something
0: that. Maybe maybe went. you get satisfaction from stepping back and realizing that it works, realizing that what you're doing is working. So it but is everything is. That kind if you, you get
1: resources. to the stage where it's working, you want to be getting onto the next thing where you haven't made those mistakes again. <laughs> you know, you're forever trying to get rid of anything that's wrong. And then you keep doing that and keep doing that for months. And yeah. then you think, oh thank God those wrong things aren't there. Let's say that's finished. We' will yeah. start another one now without making all those mistakes, yeah, but you can't actually work without wrong things, mm. and to work with wrong things is unsatisfying mm. you know it's it's probably like love, you know it's not really all that satisfying until you're writing a book about it fifty <laughs> years later or something yeah. or, or somebody yeah. else's love yeah. You know? yeah to to live those things is satisfaction isn't really the word
0: i mean we we have touched on narrative, and maybe you've already answered the question, um and I know that narrative has been you know discussed in various interviews. And you've uh, discussed in interviews that you want to go beyond narrative or beyond depiction but I I guess we've already sort of discussed
1: it's not beyond in the sense that that would be better it's just different to depiction yeah we're both of us uh, great haunters of art galleries and you know we're like nothing better than to turn up at some provincial gallery in France and discover a load of um, 19th century realist paintings that we don't know yeah and what we recognise is that the artist has concerns beyond depiction, as well as depiction, the depiction task. You know, like, if you take a artist near to home, Sickert has an interest in portraying a woman in a room. But he also has an interest in balancing some rather drab, muted colours so that something incredibly rich is made out of them. Now, you could say that... One doesn't really have anything to do with the other. It's a complete coincidence. But but the balancing is going to make that picture of the woman in the room what it is. You know, so you, when you look at the picture, you see a woman in a room, great, I want to see that. Uh, or a man in a room, I want to see that. I want to see people. I want to see a painting of people, that's great. Who wouldn't want to see that since we are people? But as art... uh it's, there's all this sort of uh, there are all these concerns beyond man, woman, or people that make those things pregnant with interest. You know, full of potential. What could they be doing? You know, what are they? Are they thinking the same as me? How much alike to me are they? To make their differences absolutely compelling to me, so I could live with that portrait of a woman who I don't know what she look, what her name is. So I could live with that portrait of a man in a top hat who was that sick at himself. You know. Uh, and that's because of those dabs of um, ugly, greeny brown that he blotched on in the last 10 minutes, having worked for two or three weeks with some other fawn or sour yellow tones or something, you know, it's because of that nothingness, little bits of mud, that those other marvellous dramatic things are so compelling so that, that's all we mean by going beyond we're, we're not like Malevich, who sort of thinks that there is something above reality mm. and uh, um, there's a supreme world behind appearances and he's going to access it with his abstraction you know we, we just think that art painting and all art has sets of concerns which to the viewer are more or less interesting most people quite rightly uh, go to art not expecting a lot of technical matters only to be addressed they want their human experience to be addressed and uh, we like that too you know but as artists we see the artistic things that are going on and so that tends to engage us more or at least as much as the the uh the drama side of things or the depicting side of things
0: and finally uh what advice would you give to and i I don't really like this word, but there's no yeah. really other word to describe emerging painters today. So painters that um, are just starting out as yeah. fine artists, or that have just left art school, or maybe they've been painting for say ten years and they're thinking, oh, do I, should I carry on painting? Yeah. What you know, what kind of advice would would you give to to painters today? <laughs> <What advice are laughs> Probably you quite here? a big question to ask, but I know you've been painting for a long time. And you've, you know, you've got sort of a wealth of knowledge and uh, experience, and your belts.
1: <laughs> My daughter's a painter. Actually, she's nearly thirty. She's been painting for ten years. Well, you could arguably say longer, but she first went to art school about ten years ago. And um, the main thing I was always encouraging her to do, although she's got her own mind and probably doesn't care, what i say, <laughs> was to believe very much in what you're doing, you know, that when you're young, there's a tendency to be cynical because you're finding things out, you know, everything can't be true. So you tend to be cynical just to defend yourself. But the art world is it's not just making art when you're young, it's coping with the art world and how that whole system works. Because you can't work in a void, you know, you gotta work and be somehow engaged with, with that world. And if you get too quickly disbelieving of everything it's rather stultifying i think so i would encourage sincerism as much as i had quite a lot of success with books and films in which i was funny about art i wouldn't necessarily you know that, that's just frivolity that is throwaway stuff that comes off the top of my head on the whole i'm pretty sincere about it and i genuinely like it and believe in it I mean, you know, I think belief is probably the wrong word, but, you know, I take it seriously. So I would encourage anyone starting out to try and find what it is that they can do seriously as quickly as possible and cook off, the, evaporate off all those sort of desires to do hijinks and playful things because you don't really know what to do as as quickly as possible and find something that you can take seriously and, and do it, you know.
2: I think I would say, particularly perhaps to women, um, that don't be afraid of or uh, to collaborate and to and to sort of value relationships with other. Uh, with other people as much as possible, and don't fall for the sort of idea that you're a lonely, isolated <laughs> genius. Uh, but uh, but actually, kind of work and work with others, and and uh, and kind of get together with, uh, take encouragement from people that you know who who do the same thing, and uh, uh, and I think that um, I think that's probably the best advice I could possibly give an emerging artist to to nurture. Uh, friendships and uh, meetings and endeavour to kind of get to know other artists. I think that's probably uh, the best advice I could give.
0: Well, thank you very much. It's been a great interview. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Lucy.
0: Reisman-Seabrook Art Collections. For more information, please visit wwwreisman